Hi, lifers. Welcome to our this episode of Living Entrepreneurship by Salty. My name is Jesse the African Sun. I'm here for a conversation with Ephraim Ramwenge and where we are touching base on that topic that we were leaning towards to on a failing forward. Uh, Ephraim, welcome to the show. I'll start off with a story of uh, a startup that was showing great signs. And this is Jumia Technologies. In the news earlier on this year, we read from the Kenya Wall Street, Jumia Technologies is said to shut down its food delivery business in Nigeria, in Kenya, in Uganda, Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, and the Ivory Coast by the end of the year. Now, they said, according to their CEO, the economics are tough in this market because the costs are very high. There is plenty of competition, so there is a downward pressure on the commissions that we make and the upward pressure on marketing costs because everyone is fighting for the customers. I wonder what lessons we can learn from the many startups in Africa. And of course, we could also use our personal experiences on failing and learning and why it's become almost an everyday thing that entrepreneurs have to experience and how to quickly bounce back up. Jesse, thank you so much for for that question. And I think one of the things that we take for granted when we look at um, business in general, I'd say when you look at the story of Jumia, it's a story that transcends a lot of businesses, Um, not just them per se, but across the board. Um, I don't want to name names, but there have been some that have really high profile, raised a lot of money that are really struggling. Like I can give you an example in Kenya as well. You have Wasoko. Um, and I know obviously this might be scandalous and people will be like, you're saying Wasoko and they're still in business. But if you look at the, just the public data, uh, Wasoko is, is, they have a very, they had a great idea, um, but you can see that it's, it, I'll explain now why it gets lost along the way like that idea and what would have made it successful gets lost along the way um you also have twiga foods twiga was doing large volumes the same thing raised a lot of money brilliant individuals behind it but again the plot gets lost along the way and that happens to a lot of businesses and even some somebody small business by the side of the road can suffer from that so that two things one you either suffer from lack of 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 adaptation that's the word lack of adaptation or you suffer from trying to adapt too fast you're ad- you're changing what doesn't need to be changed and and so let me st- let me talk about adaptation first so one of the things that a lot of that plagues a lot of businesses is that they get successful and in that hubris and in that success you see that they tend to forget what made them successful or they stick to what made them successful and they don't change with the times. That's why you see Jumia talking about change of times and all of that. And you'd think Jumia would make more money during the period of COVID and succeed in that period. But instead, that's when they really suffered and had the worst, the worst of it. Um, and I think that is what actually shocks you about the whole situation, right? That's one. So you find the situation where somebody's not adapting to the environment and so they don't change with the times and they don't ensure that in that business model. But then there's another group. Now, this group, the issue that they have is that for them, they want to grow. They're growing, they're scaling, they are changing, innovating, and they lose the they lose focus. Now, what I've noticed with a lot of these businesses, at least when I see, let's talk about now 
it on, in a practical sense to the to the to the lifer who's listening and is like, okay, I'm dealing with the different problems around how my business is going to succeed, how to ensure that my business maintains as a going concern. I would say the first thing you need to look at is one: have people moved on from your product or service? What that simply means is it's a question of relevance. Do you still meet the need for the customer for the value that you desire the customer to? At least for the value that the customer feels is adequate for that for them for for them. And so are you still relevant? That's number one. Number two, you ask yourself, you're like, have I gotten complacent in delivering value to the customer? Am I is is what I'm offering enough or more than enough for the customer? That's number two. Then the third thing I would say is that Am I too excited? <laughs> that one is very straightforward. Am I getting overwhelmed or excited by the prospects of new ventures, new business opportunities, new lines, hiring more people, investing? Because there's also investment excitement. You know, so you're going to get money and you have all this capital and you're just like, I want to invest and I want to invest. And you find that all the data when you're doing your initial market research about an opportunity goes out the window because you now have cash in hand. And so I think we talked about this. We talked about planning during cash. When we're talking about the, during the month of cash flow, we're talking about money and we're talking about how a business can go and make sure that they are manage a business owner can go make sure that they're managing that situation well you need to focus on planning for money before you get it and planning and sticking to that plan actually design the plan then hand over implementation to somebody else so someone is just following instructions and you tell them don't listen to me no matter what <laughs> follow through with this because most of the time when you design a plan unless you're you're not educated enough and what i mean by that i'm not talking about uh, high school qualifications i'm talking about have you educated yourself enough to kind of figure out what is necessary for any particular investment opportunity to be worthwhile now Again, that is another group coming back to the practical aspect because that's the whole point of living entrepreneurship. That's why it's living entrepreneurship. You have a shop, you have a business, you're offering a service, you're selling products, you have a salon. Um, question then comes in, things are not going according to plan. Like I said, you ask yourself why. It's one of two reasons. One, it could either be that you are um, not adapting to the situation or you are moving too fast for your own good. Now, at the core of both of those things is something, one simple word, which applies to both. Now, this is how we can practically sort this out. Competence. Do you have the skills and the resources to do what you want to do? Or do you have the skills and resources you need to to change your business? And so sometimes you find that most companies don't adapt because they don't have the resources. This is human. This is financial. Um, this is social, this is environmental, the forms of capital that we keep talking about. Or you, you're not competent enough, you don't have the resources to scale. So you're trying to grow your business, but you don't have the right manpower or skills. So you find that even you as an individual, you don't know how to, you may know how to run a company when it's you and maybe three other people, but what happens when you have 20 people? And then now you have to put different layers because when it's three people, there's only one layer of reporting. Now what happens when there are three layers to ensure that productivity is still high? And so those are just, I would say, the areas that I would say that any entrepreneur, when you're looking at your situation around failure, you need to, to start uh, looking at. On uh, the flip side of things and the appreciation of failure, I read about the principle uh, by software engineers. They call it the fail fast principle 
which makes software bugs easier to detect earlier in the development cycle. It allows for faster strengthening of the code and the development and limits the number of bugs that make it into the production and reduces the intrinsic cost of letting bugs in the code. Now they say a system that fails fast fails immediately and visibly when a problem occurs. Failing fast is a non-intuitive technique basically to say failing immediately and visibly which sounds like it would never make your software more fragile but in actual sense makes it more robust bugs are easy to find and to fix so fewer go into the production i'd like you to just make a comment on this failing so fast and why it's important that any entrepreneur should experience it and then learn from it we have had an opportunity to know each other for um, um eight years right Eight. And one thing that I know about you that I also know is probably true for myself as well is that we are not sentimental individuals. We can be, but I don't think prim- our lives primarily are driven by sentiment. We make very objective and calculated decisions. Yes, we're human beings, so we have those days when emotions take, have the, take the better of us. But, but one of the things that I notice is that we are not people who would, who get bogged down by emotion and we allow ourselves to dwell in that state. And in our last episode, I talked about the importance of picking your lesson and then moving on. Pick your lesson in failure and move on. And that's the whole essence of failing fast. Now, the reason why is because we mentioned that failure is inevitable. You cannot avoid it. And so are you going to take two days processing your failure Picking a lesson and moving on, are you going to take a few hours or a, or a few minutes? And so that's the whole concept of this. And I, and again, when we look at the technological revolution that has really just changed our lives as we know it, right? I mean, somebody was, I was listening to a podcast and they were asking, John D. Rockefeller was the richest man at his time. But at the time when he was the richest man, there was no, the, he didn't have what we have, right? Actually, the richest people at his time um would would be considered poor if you talk talk of what they have at their disposal would be considered poor in today's standards right just a basic phone access to internet access to electricity so the question then came in was um a guy like john d rockefeller would you exchange his life for yours um on the basis that he was the richest man of his time so would you want to become the richest man at his time without your TikToks, your Instagrams and your phones and technology as we as we know it and which have enhanced our lifestyle, healthcare, um, food technology and stuff like that. So it's the same thing um, in this context. When you look at why technology has been has advanced so quickly, it's because they believe that there's no reason to get fixated in the moment with one particular thing design what they call an MVP, a minimum viable product, and start from there because your first version of anything will always be the worst version of it. There's an African saying now to move away from Western lingo and there's an African saying that says, that goes, um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today or is now. So the essence of that statement is to say that 
time lost, you can't regain it, but you can reclaim your future. And you can reclaim your future when? Now. And so as an entrepreneur, for me, I would say that the reason why failing fast is such a, an important uh, principle is because you're always going to fail. So are you going to waste your time wallowing in self-pity that, oh, my things didn't go according to plan? Or are you just going to be like, oh, okay, I've learned that. That's, what, that's I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. And then you move on. In, in, and so you remove, and that's why I started with the sentiment aspect. You remove the sentiment from failure. Re- failure is not personal. It has nothing to do with you. Okay, it might in terms of your incompetence, but that's not in- ingrained. And now just to br- side note, to digress a bit, there was a study that showed that um, they did a study with kids, right? And they showed two groups of kids. Um, and one one group, their parents would tell them um, that they're, they're so intelligent, uh, they're so brilliant, and they're so X and Y and Z, but linked towards innate character traits. Then another group were given words of affirmation, but focused mainly on effort-related um, capacity, right? So you're looking at you're such a hard worker, or you really applied yourself. And what they showed was that the kids who were given affirmations, intelligent, brilliant, things that are innate, that you would you would technically be born with, that you can't acquire, tended to perform worse than the kids who were told or were given words of affirmation in regards to things that they could change. Because it's one, it's changeable and it's quantifiable. Like, how can I increase my intelligence or my brilliance or my talent? It's something that's God-given. So I either have it or I don't. And so what ends up happening is they show that those kids who were given who were given those com- the compliments around their innate gift giftings also became lazier uh, because they believed that it, they didn't have to do anything to to succeed. And it's the same thing with with how we look at. At, at at business, I I would say that people, you know, they say our our great business. I know people talk about leadership, but that's a different story. Leadership, I think, you can learn it, but I think there are certain aspects around the character traits of a leader that just make certain people easier. To, it's easier for them to become leaders than others, right? And also, it becomes contextual. But I'll talk of business people. People ask, are, are entrepreneurs born or or raised? And I'd say, look, there are those people who just have those skills that are innate in them that allow them to to become entrepreneurs easier than the rest, which is, for example, you're just naturally extroverted, so you're, it's easy for you to become a salesperson because sales is at the bedrock of running a business or owning one. Um, but I would say that you can become who you want to become. And I know it sounds, again, like I'm giving a motivational speech, but but I'm saying this because you can develop the skills. When you read autobiographies and biographies of all these successful people, you realize that, Man, it's a skills thing. You just acquire the data and the knowledge and just absorb it into yourself and you'll be shocked what you can achieve. So likewise, if you go the route of failing fast and you say, I'm just going to pick lessons and move on and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, you you can move significantly faster. So imagine how fast we've moved with the internet, with technology, because we're just like, let's try it. It doesn't work. Okay, next. And you keep doing that over and over again. Before you know it, people look at you and you have your minimum viable product is a, a $10 billion company in the context of these businesses. And so that's why I'm trying to say that failing fast is such a critical aspect to ensuring that you actually progress past your failure. This is Living Entrepreneurship by Salty, hosted by your story, Jesse, the African son, alongside Ephraim Ramwenge here. 
we're on to this podcast every week uh, to just bring to you insights on uh, what we are learning, what we know. We call it the School of Business and we do appreciate you so much for taking time to be on this particular episode. Welcome back to this broadcast. Now, look, I'd like us to take the conversation to the angle of uh, talking about uh, failure being a catalyst for innovation and creativity. And maybe you might want to reassure us if failure actually does become a catalyst for innovation and creativity. And if you could share the role of thinking outside the box while exploring and innovating for the changing environment where failure places us. I really love the direction that this particular topic of failure is taking because one of the things that you, a lot of people struggle with is how to find meaning in, 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 in pain, right? And I think this is pretty much what we're trying to drive at. And so Lifer, as you listen to this, I really want you to just pick the lessons. So you talked about innovation and failure. Now, I want to give a story. It's not my story. Um, and I think this is public knowledge, but I, it's good to bring the story back up because it's really fascinating. It's actually a funny story. So I'm going to borrow this story from the current world's richest man, Elon Musk, right? I think he still is, though I heard that Tesla lost, I think, 90-something billion from its market cap just the other day. So I don't know if um, Jeff Bezos has surpassed him, but he's one of the richest, right? So it's, this story is about SpaceX, his space exploration company. And so when he came up with the idea of SpaceX, he was like, I want to build cheap rockets. And so at the time, there was apparently a lot of um, equipment or sp- rocket equipment, ballistic missile equipment, like the rockets that send these missiles um, that was available for sale in, in, in Russia. Um, and so... Him and his one other, two other guys that he was working with, they decided to go to Russia to, to try to buy uh, these rockets. Um, and so his budget was he wanted to buy, he, wanted, he didn't want to spend more than 20 million. I think at the time one was, I'll, I'll try to remember, I'll get that. I'll, I don't have the specific numbers, but I'm just going to tell you. But in, in essence, round figures so that you can kind of grasp the story. Um, so I think his budget was 20 million. He didn't want to go above that. And so. He, he goes with his guys, they go and they meet with his guys. And obviously, apparently Elon Musk is a guy who's very straight to the, to the thing. He doesn't like the niceties, as most um, semi-narcissistic entrepreneurs are, um, the high achievers actually in general. So he, he gets to meet with these guys and they're going through all these niceties of drinking and enjoying themselves. And he's like, okay, but when are we going to get to business? So sure enough, these guys are like, okay, we're going to sell you one missile for like... 18 or something slightly under one just one and he wanted to buy three then he says how about i give you i I take three of them for for uh i think he offered them five million dollars each and uh they're like no we want they laugh at they laugh at him and he's like no i want they want seven each or something like that or eight each and so it ends up going above his budget and he gets pissed he's like these guys are not serious either that they're just that's that's serious or they're just messing with us um, they don't, they're not serious about business, so they're just messing with us. So eventually, he, him and his guys leave. When they leave on the plane, he, they can see he's working on something, working on something. They're like, okay, what is he, what is he up to? Um, now, when they, when they, he turns the laptop to them and he's like, 
how I've just calculated and I think we can build our our own rockets. And they're like, what? And he shows it to them and says, check out the model. I think it was an Excel model that had all the calculations for rocket propulsion and everything. Now, yes, Elon Musk is an engineer, but you need to understand he's not a rocket engineer. So they check it. The math adds up. They're like, where did you get this model from? Where have you? He says, no, I've been developing it for some time now. I've been trying to see, and I think we can build our own rocket for like $7 million or something instead of us wasting money or like $3 million, like really cheap on the fly. And so coming back to this point, like he had gone to buy rockets. He failed at that task. He comes up with this innovative idea of, well, you know what, why don't we build our own? And that actually ended up becoming what made SpaceX so special, that they were not just an assembler of parts, but they were a, ma- a manufacturer from scratch. And I'm giving this story because sometimes we underestimate what find, hitting a roadblock is. You know, I'm a man of faith and you're a man of faith and we talk about closed doors. Sometimes you want to go through and you want to take an opportunity or you want to go through a particular door you think that is for you and God is like, no, and he closes that door and it, you think that that's not where you're supposed to go. And I think it's the same thing in business, right? When you ever find yourself faced with a situation or a circumstance where um, things are not going according to plan, it requires you to go back to the drawing board. And I don't believe in the delusional aspect of persistence where you continuously push something that's not working because they do say they do say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again um, but expecting a different result. I would say that be persistent in your business, but reiterate. If you actually look at statistics, they say most, and I'm talking, picking from tech companies, but I think this applies across the board to across all businesses. They say that most most businesses are on their most businesses that you find that are successful tech businesses the product that ends up becoming commercially successful is the fourth or fifth product so they started with an idea that one failed then they pivoted to a second that one failed they pivoted to a third that one failed then they pivoted to by the time they get to the fourth fifth that's when they succeed and so you find that it's the same thing. The persistence should be in the fact that you want to be a business person. You want to be an entrepreneur. But don't persist in, in, in the mediocrity of a particular idea if it's not working. So you need to always, in that moment, use failure as your sounding board. Use the progress you make as a sounding board. Because if it's not working, it needs to be changed. Um, and I think that, is, the, that at, is at the heart of it. There is the aspect of rebranding after failure. We've seen so many companies who just choose to say, we, we have failed. And so we cannot take the same similar perception into the next phase of our undertaking or the establishment. So they rebrand and they reposition. Now let's talk about the potential to rebrand and reposition after a setback. Uh, what companies come to your mind, especially, that uh, successfully redefine their brand image and allowing themselves to regain relevance in the market after years of failure? You also mentioned earlier on that the first thing you want to do is to stay relevant. That's a, that's a, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of examples um, in Rwanda or at least in the region. Um, but while I think of those, let me talk of um, an interesting one. I'm going to talk of a particular product. Actually, two from the same company. Um, and then I'll talk of one company as well that really has redefined itself in a very interesting way. Um, so let me talk of Apple. Apple is probably the 
if not the most or second most valuable company by market capitalization in the world at this very juncture. Um, but what people don't know is that iCloud was a failure. You know iCloud, you, if anybody uses an Apple product knows iCloud, right? iCloud is what actually um, makes life what it is. Like you can lose a phone and just replace it or just buy a new phone and iCloud is iCloud, you know? You sync all your devices. And so the first iteration of iCloud, when Steve Jobs was alive, was called Me, Me Something. I can't remember the name. It was something similar, but it was a paid-for service. And, 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 and Steve Jobs tells guys, why don't we create an ecosystem and we allow guys to sync for free. And we have server farms we've just invested in, in I think Iowa or somewhere. And we, we need to make sure that this entrepreneurs, sorry, not entrepreneurs, clients can, can sync that data and that content for free. That was, that's one. And so now iCloud is, is big. Interesting thing is not long ago, Apple Maps, the maps we use on, on I don't use uh, Apple Maps, but of late there's been talk about how a- Apple Maps has really done a comeback. Like it's more user-friendly than Google Maps. Google Maps also picking the shortest route. It can send you into a, like an ocean <laughs> or a river. You're like, oh, how did your card, how do you guys know that this exists, you know? But right now, Apple Maps has actually surpassed Google Maps in terms of functionality and user-friendliness. Apple Maps was considered a failed project, but they kept reiterating. Another company that rebranded, um, that really changed, rebranded itself beyond failure was Microsoft. Now, someone say, but Microsoft never fell off. Man, Microsoft was considered a failure. Um, by the way, I can list them. And these are all big companies that we all see. Um, Microsoft at some point was considered a failure until it went into cloud. Now, Microsoft is the largest player in the world globally when it comes to cloud cloud technology. Um, I can keep giving American examples, but let me talk about here on the African continent. Um, let me talk of banks. Let me talk of Naranda um, as an example. Um, let me talk of BPR. Now, BPR, it's acquisitions that helped it rebrand, but BPR was called Bank Populaire. That's the name. Now, Bank Populaire, in, it, it's, in, 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 it, the, it's French, but the translation of it in English is the People's Bank, right? And then when you put it in vernacular, it's Bank Yabaturaj. And so when you hear Bank Yabaturaj, it's like, it sounds like a local bank. It sounds like a Mngari Musaku, right? Where you might not get any technology or service that is up to par, like global standards. But right now, BPR is arguably, and I know this sounds like I'm doing an ad for them, but this is not a this is not a sponsored placement at all. It's just that I've I've I'm watching. You watch certain organizations and certain brands, and you realize that they are. The, you can see something is being done. That's right. There's something right is being done, and through the acquisition. So first of all, they were acquired by um, Atlas Mar. Atlas Mara, Bob Diamond, former Barclay CEO, he comes in obviously with that mentality of let's elevate the, the standard to making it to make it a, a global brand bank. Then they took it, they moved it along, and then eventually with technology, then they came along obviously KCB. So you take the infrastructure of both, and you find you have a bank that actually is up to up to up to the task. And so that's one example locally. Um, 
let me talk of now a local business that of someone I know. So this individual, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to give names, but this individual um, started off um, with a with a <laughs> with a fumigations company. Um, and so this fumigations company, um, they were trying to do fumigation and they tried to do it in a professional way. This is in Rwanda. Um, but the unfortunate bit was that the market was saturated with a lot of individual contractors. And so these individual contractors were the ones who were taking up a lot of the space. Um, and through taking up a lot of that market space, these guys couldn't compete because they had the overhead. So this individual sat down and said, okay, how can I shift this business from being a fumigation? Like, what can I do with this? So eventually it shifted from a fumigations business to selling fumigations products. And so right now that individual is now supplying, um, is importing the products and supplying them. So that's just one example where guys go around rebranding when they find um, an obstacle or a form of failure. Yeah. Well, so many examples to look at for companies or businesses that have chosen the route of rebranding and repositioning themselves. Maybe just to conclude, a friend, uh, when it's just an individual, you are a person, you got your skills and uh, you're applying yourself to the marketplace, you are seen or perceived to be a failure at so many things that you have started out as initiatives. And now you want to reposition yourself. Is there a thing like a personal rebrand or a personal repositioning? You're not a company. It's just you as an individual. Let's conclude with that in about a minute. So not to dwell too much on, on, on that because, again, like you said, I have a minute. I would say the fundamentals need to be the same. Again, anybody who says that ah, his track record is poor, he has done so many things and they failed, first of all, that person is just envious or jealous or that person has never done anything because anybody who's worth that weight in, in gold or at least anybody who's worth anything will tell you that they have failed more than they've succeeded because all you need to do, you can fail a hundred times, all you need is just one success. I can give, again, countless examples because this is public knowledge, again, of guys who on the fifth, sixth, seventh business they are successful. And why? Because you normally tend to fail failure out of your system by the time you get to that point. Now, um, I would say when I say the fundamentals have to be solid uh, for an entrepreneur when you're dealing with this situation, at least for you to maintain some credibility, ensure that one, integrity is always integrity. People never think that you're a shady person. That needs to be a given. And so you always need to, if you need to go above board, even when you do fail, just be honest and transparent about your failure. Number two, um, always be a hard worker. Let no one ever say that you failed because you're lazy because people never want to be associated with lazy people. Um, number two, uh, don't have hang-ups. Again, we said this, don't wallow in yourself in self-pity. So don't, when you talk of your failure, don't talk about it in a negative light. Talk about it in a positive sense because that's the truth. If you focus on the silver lining and the lessons, it's, there's always something good out of it. So I think that's it, right? Thank you so much, Ephraim. Uh, again, I have to, to to not warn, but to just encourage you. It's always a pleasure to get to hear your feedback. So go find Living Entrepreneurship by Soji on all our social platforms. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, every Saturday, at 10 a.m. on 94.3 Royal River. We continue with our next episode next weekend. We hope that you'll be here with us. And please do not forget, slide into the DM and let's get to hear what you think about these conversations.